Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Today, we're beginning a new series called Love Story from the Book of Ruth. Uh, The Book of Ruth reads like a fascinating novel. It's set in the periods of the judges. It depicts this really rough and violent era. But in contrast to all the blood, war, and famine, there is still love and goodness and faithfulness in this story. And in no time at all, you're going to fall in love with the characters over the next few weekends. Uh, you're going to become involved. You're going to become invested in their lives and their futures as you read about them in the book of Ruth. It's a story about relationships, about survival, about family dynamics. And you're going to, you're going to feel some of their pain. You're going to relate to some of their fears. Uh, the book of Ruth shows shows how in the sunset of your life that God can use you in the most significant way. And it expresses the survival of two relentless women, Naomi and Ruth, who just tenaciously endure adversity. It's a story of a gracious man who went beyond his scope, reached out, fed them, and took care of them. It's about a woman who's on the outside, being brought to the inside, and being taken care of the rest of her life. If you like history, it's a study in the genealogy of of a king. You can learn about King David's lineage uh, by reading through Ruth. It's a story. It's a love story. And in every great story, there's some kind of trial. There's some kind of obstacle or tragedy to be overcome. And that's what we find right at the beginning of this very story. Now, if you didn't receive your program notes, just raise your hand. The ushers are along the side. They'll get those to you. This week begins home church. We like to talk about what we share on this uh, on Sunday. So you're going to enjoy that. You know, you can't have a great story without a great backstory. And so chapter one of Ruth opens uh, with Naomi as a key person in the life of Ruth. And it gives us the backstory that tells us so much about Ruth's journey and where it all began. So we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter one, verse one together. In the days when the judges rule, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and they had the, and the name of their two sons were Malone and Kilion. They were Ephorites, and they were from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab, and they lived there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other, Ruth, after they had lived there about 10 years. Both Malone and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. The backdrop of Ruth's story begins with Naomi and her mother and father-in-law, there was a famine in their hometown in Bethlehem, which it's interesting because Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's no more bread in the house of bread. And Amelielech decides that they need to leave this famine. Now, not everybody left the famine, but he felt led to lead the famine. And so they go into Moab and they go into Moab 
for survival, thinking that they're only going to be there a short time, get some food, and then go back home. And they end up living there for 10 years. And so he's strong enough to get Naomi uh, and their family, their two sons, out of Bethlehem into Moab, but he dies in Moab. And Naomi is now widowed trying to survive after a famine, raising two sons in a foreign country who are, later get married. They're unable to go back home, at least they think they aren't, to their, to, the, uh, to their homeland. And when things could not have gotten any worse than losing your husband, her two sons died. In a space of 10 years, she's lost the men in her life that she loves in the deepest possible way. So she's exasperated. She's frustrated. And she makes up her mind, enough is enough. And we're coming to the end of this famine. I want to go home. There's nothing left for me here. And she says in verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. In other words, in the midst of the famine, I went out full. Why? Because she had her family. She had her husband. She had her sons. And in a mom's heart and in a mom's life, uh, when you have your husband, your children, and your family with you, that means everything to you. So what's interesting, she left because of a famine. But when she reflects on that time of leaving in the famine, she says, I actually went out full. Sometimes, even when we're in a difficult time, we may not see how really blessed we actually are in that season that we're in, because all we can see is the famine. All we can see is the lack or the need that's in front of us, and we tend to focus on that, only later to find out that the things that we were worrying about were not nearly as significant as the things we are about to go through. So in the midst of the famine, she still had her husband and her children. She went out full. Write this down. Point number one, focusing on what we don't have causes us to miss out on what we do have. After her husband and two sons died, the famine seemed absolutely insignificant in comparison to that pain. Verse 7, when her two daughters-in-law, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Naomi found herself widowed, childless, walking with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and these three women whose common connection is pain. Pain brings the oddest people together in life. Pain causes you to meet people you would have never met, to connect you with people you would not have known otherwise. When Isaac, our youngest son, uh, was born with cerebral palsy, years into that in his development, we had to begin to go to Shriners on a regular basis for multiple surgeries. And we began to meet new people that we would have never met in life if it were not for our pain. We met in, that, in the waiting room of life and waiting on all those surgeries and all those doctor's appointments. We met other parents who were going through things that we were going through and their children were going through disability. We found ourselves in the same waiting room of life, sitting next to each other beginning to learn each other's story and challenges. It was all new to us as parents. We, we would ask each other, well, what does your child have? Or what doctor are you seeing today? Uh, what, what surgery does your child have coming up? Pain transcends many things and causes you to relate to others at a deeper level. The conversations go deeper, quicker. God's done more in my life through pain. 
He's done more in my life through struggles than any of my successes. And if you look closely at my ability to speak to the heart and soul, it doesn't come from gifts or successes. It comes from my struggles. And all the fruit of my life has come out of my weakness. My my struggles have been the very pathway which has led me into my greatest successes. And if you've never had anything die in your life, a loved one, a friend, a career, a vision, a dream, well, then we have little in common. If, if you've never known disease or heartache or pain, then you probably have little compassion for those who do. People who have never experienced pain or loss, they have little comfort to give to other people because they themselves have not needed that comfort. Your life experience and your counsel will will not yet be tempered or balanced until you go through things. There's something about each and every one of us that when you when you go through death or loss or pain or suffering or misfortune or misunderstanding and adversity, there's something about us that until you go through that, you can't give good counsel to other people because you don't understand, you haven't experienced it. And there's the test of your faith, and that is, this is not going the way I had planned. Life is not fair. Life is not fair, but God is good. And when you begin to realize that life is not fair, you face a crisis of your faith. Once you've gone through things and you begin to join with other people, you realize that it's more common in other people's lives as well. And since you can't change what has happened or alter what you've been through, you want to begin to feel like, well, wait a minute. Okay, there's got to be something greater. There's got to be some greater good that's going to come out of all this, of of what I'm going through in life. And when something important in your life dies, you're trying to understand it. You're trying to grapple with it. And you're trying to bring what's called closure. To bring closure is to realize that I didn't go through this kind of pain for nothing. And I won't be able uh, to feel like something good is going to happen until I've gone through this. I, I can't do this on my own. And if I stay stuck in that, I become what's called a victim. I begin to to focus on the sorrow. I begin to feel sorry for myself. I'm not able to go on with my life. I, I feel stuck in my story. The days are going by, the weeks are going by, the months are going by, but I'm not moving on. I'm not ready to move forward because I'm still tied to my past. And I need to know that God is not through with me. I need to know that God is working with me, that he's guiding me and leading me and that he loves me. And so for Oprah and Naomi and Ruth, they cried together. They shared pain together. They shared burial together. They shared their losses together. And now they shared emptiness together. Would their faith remain strong in the face of emptiness? Would yours? If three of your family members were suddenly gone, would your faith remain strong? Would mine remain strong? The book of Ruth opens with a famine in the land. And this phrase, there is a famine in the land, it allures to the great patriarchs of faith. It alludes to them, Abram, who left his home and and his land to live as a foreigner in Egypt. Isaac, who left his homeland and Gerar to live among the Philistines. And both of these stories, in spite of tragic famine, we see that God's sovereign plan brought his people blessing through the famine. God brought something good out of the famine every time. 
There are phases that are phrases that mean something to us in our culture. For example, when you hear the words, uh, once upon a time, for me, that goes back to when I was little and I heard my mom read me those stories or, or when my kids were little and I was reading to them once upon a time. And when, when you hear that phrase, once upon a time, it means you're about to take an adventure of a good story and it's going to end really well. That's what we love about that. When the Jewish audience heard the words and there was a famine in the land, even in the midst of hearing, wow, there's, dark, there's darkness going on here, and a sense of hopelessness, what it would do for the Jewish people is it would evoke hope at a deeper level in them because it means this. If I'm going through a famine, God is about to bless me. Difficult seasons always eventually give way to greater blessing. It's the pattern and cycle of life. Famine is a precursor to abundance. Losing a job means you get a better job. Being forced to move out means you find a better place to live. Naomi's emptiness forces her to evaluate her life and her circumstances. Verse 8, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Number two, even when it feels like the world is willed against us, God's will is still reality. There was a a season, a reason here that Naomi was too old to bear children. It left her only one choice in her mind, and that was to return home. The dead end in Moab led her to a new direction. She feels in her emotion that all of this is just one big sign that God is not with me. Her pain is screaming at her that God's turned against me. Have you ever had those moments in your life like, I don't know if God's for me or against me right now. I mean, it's just this one thing right after another. The truth is her husband led her to a foreign land. It was his choice and she followed. Not everyone who was experiencing famine in Bethlehem left. They remained. You'll find that out in a few moments. But they felt led to leave. God was now orchestrating something in her life. There was a turn that was coming. There was an ending and a new beginning to her story. God's about to change her entire life for the better, but she doesn't know it, and she's thinking God is against her. Anybody relate to that? I think we all have at different times. At some point in following God and walking with God, your faith is going to develop and your level of trust in God is going to develop in such a way that you will be able to say, nothing in my life just happens. Nothing. So when I reach a dead end, it means a new direction. When you reach your ceiling, 
When you reach that dead end, it means there's some other purpose. It's meant to redirect your life. So Naomi was younger and she might have stayed in that foreign land. She could have returned home and found another husband. If Naomi had, had stayed and not returned home, this story would not have been written in the way that it is. Ruth had to go. Naomi had to go. And we're going to learn later that Ruth became King David's great-grandmother. God knows where you are and why you're here. Never lose sight of God's sovereignty in your life. God never wastes pain. He knows how old you are. He knows how much time you've spent. He knows what has happened to you. He knows who walked out on you and who left you. He knows who has betrayed you and hurt you. He knows who's rejected you and abandoned you. He knows where your life is right now. He knows about the bills. He knows about the illness. He knows about uh, the help that you didn't get, that person that said they were going to do something and they didn't come through. He knows about your child. He knows about all the stresses in your life. He knows about the job that you're worried about, the relationship that you're worried about. When your faith grows, you begin to understand that nothing just happens. Verse 14, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Number three, our future isn't tied to the people who leave us. It's tied to the ones who hold tight. Notice it doesn't say that Ruth just hung around because there was no place else to go. It doesn't say that Ruth decided to just stick around. It says that Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth had the same heart of Jesus when the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Who knows why someone goes and why someone stays? God knows. Orpah walked away. The story doesn't say one bad thing about Orpah's decision to walk away, because that's not the point. The point is, is that we need to see is that when people walk away, when people reject you or abandon you, let them go. Don't ever try and talk someone into loving you. That's dysfunctional. Don't try to talk someone into caring about you the way you care about them if they don't feel the way you do. Don't try to talk someone into staying who is not with you. When people walk away from you, let them walk away. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with you or deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me, be it so ever so severely. But when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Your destiny is not dependent on the people that leave you. It's tied to the people who stay with you. This doesn't mean that Orpah's a bad person. It just means that Orpah's part of the story is over. You can't find anything more about Oprah in this story. As painful as it may be, we all have to know when a person's part of their story is over, it's over. 
Think about it this way. We're living our story here together as Brave Church. It's our joys together. It's our victories, our defeats, our mistakes, our blessings, our sufferings, our our successes that we're experiencing. Last Sunday was the largest Easter at Brave in the history of our church. It, it 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 was amazing. We've only had five or six Easter's. It was incredible. We had more adults. We had more kids. We had more eggs than I've ever seen in my entire life, right? We're living our story. Now, if you tried to make it work with someone and it wouldn't work, release them, bless them, move on. If you're going to be faithful, you'll have to say goodbye to the unfaithful along the way. If you're going to be honest, you've got to say goodbye to the dishonest along the way. Don't beg the unhealthy, the unfaithful, or the dishonest to stay in your life. Let them go. You're living your own story. Now, Ruth here, she has a different story because she's at a crossroads in her relationship, not only with Naomi, but her relationship with God. You see, she's at a different place. She's ready to commit to Naomi at a deeper level, and she's ready to commit to following the God of Naomi. Orpah was going back to her other gods. Listen to this. Listen to these words, verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. You know, there's something something really special that can just happen when you meet someone and you sense that your destiny is tied to them, you're tied relationally to that person or to a community of people, we're spending our lives together here at Brave. And, and, and together, we are part of a purpose and a plan that's bigger than us to influence this region. And we're doing that. You could have been born anywhere. You could have moved anywhere except Manteca. Don't, don't, don't do it. Uh, but God moved you here. He moved you here. So this week, as we open up our home churches, join one, go on the website, meet new friends, get unstuck, dive in. You've been thinking about it every semester. I, you know, I really need to go to a home church. You will not regret it. Don't wait for better conditions in your life. Don't wait for uh, more time to connect with people. Don't wait for a better friend to come along, connect, and get involved. There's something very special about it when being friends, you're joined in the same story and the same vision. There's nothing more important than when people spend their lives together. Tracy and I are so grateful that we get to spend our lives with you. In fact, we just bought our first home. Pretty cool, huh? And I didn't know this until I moved to the Bay Area, but when you buy a home in the Bay Area, that's the equivalent of walking on water. It's a financial miracle. I don't care who you are. And uh, last summer, some friends got together and put a surprise on for us, a Laws family benefit, and and people gave with uncommon generosity. But not only did they do that then, they kept going for nine more months. And last March, we were able to buy a home. Or this March, we were able to buy a home. Last week, we were able to buy a home. (laughs) We have a home because people are with us and we're with them and we love each other. And we can say to you, like Ruth said to Naomi, wherever you go, we'll be there. Uh, wherever you stay, we'll be there. Your, our people is your people. Our God is our God. Uh, and where you die, we'll die. Hopefully it'll be, you'll die before me though. Okay. 
There, there's something very healing about hearing, hearing these words. I am with you. In fact, if you're waiting for someone to say that to you, you want to be blessed, go say that to somebody else. I am with you. There's power in that. God moves through that. And so the Bible tells us stories of people who were not even blood related that were close in the closest kinds of ways. Moses and Joshua were not related. David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi were related by marriage. Paul and Timothy, Elijah and Elijah. What caused Elijah to leave his home, leave his parents, leave the family business, and go and clean the clothes of Elijah and to wash his hands? He literally set up his tent for him. He literally waited on him as a servant of the Lord. Somehow, Elijah knew that his destiny was tied to Elijah. And if you read that story, you'll find out, sure enough, it was. There was a double blessing that came down through that relationship. How do we explain the relationship between a young Timothy and Paul? Timothy, who walks away from his godly mother and grandmother and everything that was comfortable to him and everything that he owns, and he clings to the outside of a jail cell, a window cell, and in that cell is an old man named Paul that's about ready to be beheaded, and he peeks in through that window, and he hands the old Paul books, and he hands him blankets because he's cold, and he ministers to him in a practical way because that young man understood, I will never be who I was meant to be without you in my life. There's something very special about the way you speak to me. Paul, your words speak to my heart. There's something about your vision. I I didn't meet you by accident. You're in my life for a reason. And none of us have gathered in this room by accident. We all have a part to do and a part to play and a purpose to live for. And your life being here doesn't just happen. There's a reason that you're in this place. There are many people who think that things just happen. I guess I'll, I guess I'll just go to church or I guess I'll get baptized or I guess I'll move to California or I guess I'll get this job or take that career. That's not how it is because for a follower of Jesus, this is what the Bible says. Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, meaning those whose heart that say, like Ruth to Naomi, I'm all in. I'm all in. God, I'm all in. Here's my life. I'm going to trust you with my whole life. And then the Bible says the steps of the godly, not the perfect people, but those who are all in, their steps are directed by the Lord. And then he goes on and he says this, he delights in every detail of their lives. The scripture says our times and our moments, our lives are in his hands. If you hadn't got that phone call when you did, like you did, you wouldn't even be here right now. If you hadn't paused right at that intersection, in that moment, the light turns green, something in you says, don't go, don't move. You wouldn't be experiencing today if you didn't listen to that voice. It's not that you're all that smart. I mean, anytime you get an idea that's smarter than you are, you do know where that comes from, right? It would have to be God, okay? Because you're just not that smart. I'm not that smart, all right? It's not that you're great. It's not that you're holy. We all know that. It's not that you're perfect. God pointed you in the right direction, and you're here because nothing just happens. This means that I'm in the will of God even in the midst 
of death. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. God didn't bring the suffering. God walks through the suffering with me. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Even when I'm disappointed, even when I'm discouraged, even when I'm uncertain, I'm in the will of God. The will of God is my reality. Thank you. David said this. By the way, Naomi, she, her, her two sons' names means puny and sickness. Think about what you name your kids, all right? They're no longer with us. All right. Man, that was rich. I don't even think you can find that anywhere. But anyway, Psalm 1, maybe you shouldn't. Psalm 139, verse 8. If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. Why? Because God's going to find you in that dark place. God loves you. He cares for you. He will find you in the midst of your darkest hour and he will be there for you and he will give you a hope that's supernatural. Listen, God is with you in your trouble and he's with you in your pain. Verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They were excited to see her. Now these were ones that stayed in the famine. These are the friends. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She's told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Naomi is a victim right now. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew children's mind, both good and evil came from the same God. They don't know the God of the New Testament. They don't know that Emmanuel is with us. Anything that happens in their life, they assume that it comes from that same source. She's, she could not even in that moment, because all she could see was her pain, She had already forgotten the moment where Ruth pledges and commits her entire life to her. But all she could tell her friends, instead of saying, this is Ruth, this is my daughter-in-law, this is what she just said to me on the road here, and I love her so much and I'm so grateful, but she's overwhelmed by the memory of her pain because she's coming home and her husband isn't here and her two sons aren't here. And then we get... In this last verse, we get a glimpse of what God is about to do in her life and the life of Ruth. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem. Now listen to these words. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And as they're arriving, it just so happened that the harvest is beginning. The famine is over. The ending of loss in her life is over. Naomi doesn't even know it as she re-enters. She's consumed with all her pain and she doesn't even know it's over. God's saying it's over. Harvest, new beginning, great things are ahead and all she can see is her pain. 
The ending of loss is now over and a whole new chapter is about to begin. There is a reason to hope again. And as we journey through this book, chapter by chapter, you're going to see God do incredible things in these ladies' lives. And you're going to see a shift that takes place in Naomi's heart. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we are so excited about what you're doing in our lives to be reminded that nothing just happens. And whether I find myself in going into famine, in famine, or coming out of it into harvest, you're my God and you're with me and I'm with you and you're gonna lead me through whatever I'm going through in this day, in this hour in my life because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Lord God, I'm gonna learn from from Naomi's life. I don't want to stay stuck in my past. I don't want to keep rehearsing my past. I want to move on. I want to let people go, the hurt, the pain that they've caused me, the memories, the song that I hear and I remember them again or whatever that source of pain is. God, I want to bring my pain to you. I want to give my pain to you. I want to heal and I want to let go. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Let it go. Let it go. And look to those that are with you, those that are clinging to you, those that God has brought into your life. And look for those that God's going to bring into your life. And let that stuff go. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.